Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Been a little frustrating for the Colorado Avalanche of late who have had leads and blown them. Well, they're it, listening to soothing music like yeah, that. They must be. I, maybe that's it. Just, <laughs> this is a great, this is one of the all-time great tunes, right? Temptation. It's a classic, yeah. yeah. Danny's going with this. Uh, presumably... And it's old school. Motown Monday. Oh, yeah, it's Motown of course, Monday. Of course. Yeah. It, it, we, we, we don't bother even. Some producers, you actually say what might be what you want to play. We don't bother with that. With we, Danny. We There's don't. no point. No point. Because He's going to do better than we're going to come up with. Just let him do his thing. That's 1960s. Yeah, just get out of the way. You know, sometimes that's the trick. Just get out of the I way. I write on that as the 60s? Be like early 60s or late 50s, right? Something to that extent. Yeah, early to mid 60s. Yeah. Early mid 60s. Yeah. yeah. Did we just get at Yeah, uh, definitely before Danny's. You can't well, see Danny. If you're on MyLifeSports.com or you have I know, the app, it's amazing. you can see us. You can't see Danny, Danny but Danny was like not he was listening. Born five minutes ago. Yeah, he was negative many decades at the time that song came out. So yeah. <laughs> that's certainly not something. Years, if not decades. He, before he grew up with. Uh, neither would that apply to our next guest, of course, Mile High Sports elite hockey analyst, the host of the Hockey Mountain High podcast, our friend Arif Dean. You can follow him on social media at RunRightArif. That's A A R I F. And and let's just start with the last couple of games. If you were actually we talked to you before you went out to Detroit to catch the Avs in that game in Detroit, a game in which the Avs really came out well, looked like they were dominating the game at one point, have a massive lead in shots on goal that just didn't break through, and somehow end up losing it. And then to make it worse, they come home, they get the lead against the Toronto Maple Leafs, and they lose that game as well. Uh, at least in Detroit, they they got the loser point out of it. They did. But they did. This for the Avalanche has seemed to be a problem, and I guess with you really following this team all season and being around these guys, what is causing these lapses? They're good enough to get the lead, but then they have difficulty holding them, and it's becoming really more problematic of late. Is it a concentration issue? Is there a communication breakdown? If so, why is it happening? So when we spoke with Jared Bednar today, he said that a lot of the somebody asked a question about if you guys remember in November, the Avalanche kind of had a bad rut there, uh, similar to this, where they won like three of 11 games or something like that. Well, this is three out of 10. Yeah. 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 And yeah, so very similar to this back in that late October, early November time frame, I want to say it was. And, and uh, somebody asked Jared Bednar today about the similarities between this rut and that one. And he said that we're, we're, you know, throughout the game, we're getting away from our checking effort and, and, and uh, the, like the things we need to do to win. And, and ultimately what that is to me is it's roster construction. And I don't mean that in a very gen- general, generic type of broad way. I mean it in the sense of, look, the reality is you're not going to get 82 100% efforts out of your team. 
But last year, the year before that, when Val Nichushkin was healthy in the beginning of the season, like things like that, and obviously we can probably get to him with his expected inevitable return coming up, but the Avalanche were able to mask when the team is not firing on all cylinders. Now it's a little bit more difficult for them to do it. Like, this is my fifth season on the beat. It feels like for the first four, four and a half years, and this could change on a whim here with Val's return and, you know, a paid potentially a trade deadline acquisition, maybe Landeskog, Kovalenko out of Russia, who's also kind of like this wild card like Landeskog. But for the first four and a half years of me being on the speed, it feels like when you look at the NHL standings, you look at there are 10 really good teams, and then there are like three exceptional teams above the pack. And it'll be some kind of combination of like Boston, Tampa, Colorado, Vegas in any given season. It doesn't feel like Colorado's one of those exceptional teams anymore. Oh, it no, just no. Feels like they're no. One of, yeah, it just no, feels they're, like they're, they're one of the good 10 team. teams. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it just feels like they're yeah. one of those I 10 agree. teams. The Colorados, the Carolinas, the Vancouver's, the this, the that. The, yeah, they can make noise in the playoffs, but they could also lose in the first round, and neither of those would surprise you. Right. Uh, last year it was surprising when they lost in the first round. This year I don't think it would. And all of that is to say – if the Avalanche aren't firing on all cylinders the way were the way that they were heading into the All Star break, you're going to lose a lot more games than you did in the past. Because in the past, and let's just use the Cup year for example, when the Avs are firing on all cylinders, they would win seven three. When they weren't, they would squeak out a three two win. Now it feels like they have to work hard to squeak out a one or two goal win, like they did against the Vancouver Canucks. And when they aren't playing their best you're going to lose some games. And that, that seems to be the case ever since the All-Star break, and especially the last two here. Yeah, in and of itself, losing to uh, Toronto is is no disgrace. I mean, I, I think Toronto's in in that mix of, of teams, along with the Avalanche, uh, who are very good. Uh, they have trouble getting uh, the kind of commitment, attention to detail, night in and night out, but Toronto's won eight out of ten games, so they caught a hot team. Detroit's playing well, 6-2-1 and one in its last ten, so they, they're not losing to bumpkins, uh, but at the yeah. same time, you look at the avalanche against Arizona, and they really struggled, and Arizona hasn't won a game in ages, and you just, and again, from the bottom nine, you, you just look across the score sheet, and you see almost nothing. Uh, what do we get the other night? We got a Lekkonen goal the other night. We got a Cogliano goal the other night. Actually, for the bottom nine forwards, two goals has been pretty good uh, yeah. uh, lately. Uh, but, you know, you score three goals. You're a team with uh, the caliber of uh, defensemen that the Avalanche put out there. I mean, you got to win with three goals a lot more often. The Avalanche have been winning with three goals. Yeah. They're, they it's, can't it's, it's be losing with three goals yeah. the way they do and getting nothing. The NHL has kind of changed now to the point where, you know, scoring three goals isn't the same kind of victory it was even five years ago. But at the same time, the Avalanche – whether it's goaltending is in is letting in one goal more than they should, whether it's the defensive lapses leading to the goaltender letting in one more goal, or whether it's the forwards aren't checking, which leads to the defensive lapses, which leads to the goal, there's clearly an issue there. And it just goes back to me to the point that 
it is a flawed roster. And, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I don't mean that as the Avalanche are like a terrible team. But in terms of the expectation expected of them, and obviously right now Nachushkin's not in the lineup and he will be hopefully here soon, the roster the Avalanche are putting out right now is not going to win you anything. I look at the Detroit Red Wings game and I see a roster, top to bottom, goaltending, forwards, defensemen, etc., that is deeper than what the Seattle Kraken had. Oh, and that's a Red Wing team definitely. that is, is yeah, and that's a, and they have the more higher powered skill, the Patrick Kane's, the uh, Alex DeBrinkets, and I would argue Dylan Larkin is better than anything that the Seattle Kraken had last year, including Jared Pinkan, who only played half the series after the injury on the hit from Kale McCarr. So like, the Avs don't have that depth. Is it fixable? Yes. I mean, last season we saw heading into the playoffs. If you guys remember, and somebody reminded me of this a couple of days ago, game one of the postseason. Landis Gaga's side was the first time all year that the Avalanche had a fully healthy lineup. I don't know if you guys remember that. Darren Helm came back. Josh Manson came back. Bowen Byram came back. Eric and Jack Johnson were both there. It was the first time all year, game one of the playoffs, that everybody was healthy. But then what ended up happening? Josh Manson and Darren Helm barely lasted a couple games. Right. Natushkin, we all know what happened there. Natushkin yep. was gone very soon. Andrew Cogliano broke his neck in game six. And right away, you got to the point where this fully healthy roster was decimated once more. What you're seeing right now from the Avalanche is a, is a roster that's relatively healthy. Once Natushkin is back, you're back to everybody's healthy outside of Landeskog. Now, the other golden ticket that I'll that I mentioned earlier and I would call it more of a wild card is Nikolai Kovalenko who's coming from the KHL whenever his season ends which could be as soon as the next 10 days 12 days if his if his KHL team loses in the first round he's a 25 24 year old forward that's probably going to come in don't set the expectations too high he could be a top six in the future but it's probably going to be a good bottom six option you're still going to have to trade for somebody. Somebody's got to come in here, and it's got to be somebody that better than what you got last year. Now, is he, is he strictly a winger? He's uh, strictly a winger, but the – well, okay, so he's listed strictly as a winger, but over the last three weeks, he has been playing center. Well, and I'm uh, we, we can, I'm we can think of a guy he <laughs> might supplant, can't we? Yep. Yeah, 100%. And I'm wondering if there's a reason why Torpedo's been playing him at center and if it has to do with the Avalanche and the, and the fact that they've been very good with communicating with the Avalanche's general manager and the team here about making sure his development is, is progressing well. So, again, he could very much be a guy that comes in, practices a couple times, maybe gets into one game, plays six minutes, and then the Avalanche just say, you know what, let's focus on training camp for this guy so that he can be the top six guy he could be. Or he could be a guy that comes in right away and is effective and is a you know good middle six guy. But getting Nichushkin back is a big help. Getting Kovalenko back is a would assume, and I said this last week, that the Avalanche are going to bring in two forwards better than what they have currently. You bring in two more forwards. You bring in Nichushkin. You bring in Kovalenko. And that, that this, none of these scenarios require Gabe Landeskog to return from an injury that's been keeping him out for two years. Nichushkin is almost ready to go. Kovalenko will be here inevitably as soon as the season ends, as long as he doesn't suffer a season-ending injury over the next week. Those are two guys that are inevitably going to be in the lineup. Make a forward addition or two. Now you look at the 12 guys that's on the Avalanche roster, specifically the bottom nine, like you mentioned. Four of those guys are going to have to sit for the four guys coming in, or the at least Nichushkin and Kovalenko coming in. So it starts to really come, come around really quickly, 
uh, in terms of filling in those holes. Because right now the Avalanche are a flawed roster. And I love what you said when you used the term bottom nine. I know you just mean it as the lines that are not the top three, the top line. But the reality is that's how it feels like the Avalanche are. They don't have a top six and a bottom six. They have a top line, a superstar line, and then they have a bottom nine. And they need to have a top six. Eric, the the defensive pairings are basically the same as they were last year now. I mean, they're basically healthy, and they more or less have been. And that top pairing, of course, is a superstar pairing as well. But not in February. There have been consistent breakdowns defensively with McCarr and Taves. Uh, In the 10 games in February, the number of games in which Taves has been a, a plus player, just a plus player, in 10 games, two. The number of games in the last 10 in which McCarr's been a plus player, one. During that same span, Taves is minus five and McCarr's minus eight. That can't happen. What is going on with that pairing? Because it seems as if consistently there have been breakdowns, which is bizarre because for the last two seasons, you could argue they were the best pairing in all of hockey, both offensively and defensively. And during that span of time, by the way, Neither of them are scoring all that much either. Three points for each man during that 10-game period. Is there a notion that perhaps, for whatever reason, Judd Bednar might want to mix that up? Because right now, you can't have your top line be a combined negative 13 in the last 10 games. It's it's funny how that's working. I don't know what's going on there. I don't know if Kale McCarr is nursing an injury. I don't want to make excuses. All I will say is... The Avalanche are four games away from the trade deadline, and then the fifth one will be played on the eve of the deadline where even if you trade for a person, they won't be in the lineup that game. So you have five more games until the deadline. I'm assuming that Nichushkin will be back somewhere in games three, four, and five next Monday, next Wednesday, next Friday, the day of the deadline. But to answer your question, I would say give them these next five games to figure it out before messing with the lineup because – this goes back to, you know, the, the NHL nowadays and the, the, this, the day and age of where we are in hockey, where we're not quite at positionless hockey. You know, we haven't quite evolved to where the NBA is, where it almost seems like it's become a positionless sport. But we are reaching the point where the fact that you don't have Nichushkin playing the two-way game he is. He's almost like a third defender. And Nazem Kadri's almost like a third defender. Gabe Landeskog's a two-way forward, almost like a third defender. JT Comfer is a two-way forward, almost like a third defender. When all of these guys continue to be eliminated from your roster and taken out of your team, it's going to affect the defensemen as well because of that. And that's not to say that that's why Caves and McCarr have been struggling the last 10 games. But that's to say the standard they've set the last two seasons speaks volumes to how strong a core the Avalanche have had. And Arturi Lekin has only been back for like 10 or 12 games now, too. He missed 35, and he's a two-way forward, pretty much a third defender. So I would say with Val coming back here soon, I would give Taze and McCarr, you know, these next five or six games to figure it out. Um, because this decor is the one that won the Stanley Cup. You're exactly so take right. Out Eric Johnson. Yeah, take out Eric Johnson. You have the six guys out mm-hmm. of seven who played in the Stanley Cup year. Like, you, you're not supposed to have a defense that's together this long. So it's almost puzzling when they do have these stretches because anybody else in the NHL at this point. So I would say give them the next four or five games to figure it out. If they can figure it out, if the forward core starts to come together, 
and you start to get a couple more saves in goaltending, which, by the way, Eustace Annanen in Detroit, chef's kiss, unbelievable game. You want to see more of that. Then you get to a point where things start to, like, fit in. Like, goes back to the very first thing I said. It feels like a flawed roster, but it also feels like one or two or three things could turn a flawed roster into one of those top three teams in the NHL that I was talking about for the last couple of years. He like, is that close to figuring it out. He's Arif Dean. You can follow him on social at RunRightArif. That's A-A-R-I-F, the host of the Hockey Mountain High podcast. And, of course, uh, the tip of the spear for what we put together over at MileHighSports.com. Appreciate it, Arif. Thanks so much. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thanks so much. Arif joins us. And, uh, yes, you heard of the Valerian Achushkin now cleared to practice. Let me give you the window there because when uh, Samuel Girard returned from his uh, program there, he basically was cleared to practice on the 22nd, played on the 31st back in September. Uh, I was going to say week in to December. Right. That's and that's the ramp. He missed three games, essentially, during that span of time. Between the time he practiced, he sat out three games and played on the fourth. Were that to be the case for Nachushkin, who is now cleared to practice, that would have him returning for the Avalanche on the game against Chicago Monday the 4th here in Denver, which actually sounds like a pretty good landing spot so that may be when you see uh, Najushkin back on the ice so a week from today basically a week from today and uh, that would be a good sign and it would be just a couple days before that deadline of the eighth by the way uh, you heard him talking a little bit about Nikolai Kovalenko a 2018 draft choice for the Avs the coach of Torpedo in the KHL is considered one of the rising stars and maybe the next Russian full-time coach uh, in the NHL Avalanche fans may have a little bad vibes about the name, but not about the quality of the, the person. Igor Larionov is the very well-regarded coach of Torpedo and the coach of Nikolai Kovalenko over in the NHL. So when Larionov is moving Kovalenko from wing to center, you're also realizing a guy whose nickname when he played was the professor. Knows what he's talking about, oh, Hanaki. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, I, I remember uh, many years ago, after Bob Hartley was fired here, he's picked up by the Atlanta Thrashers, the coach down there. And the first time the Atlanta Thrashers ever made the playoffs was uh, 2007. And um, uh, I was there with a colleague, a friend of ours, for the final four. And we received, uh, a few days before he left, an invitation from Bob Hartley to attend a game against Toronto that was, as it turned out, the game that clinched a playoff spot uh, for the Atlanta Thrashers. Larry Arnoff was on that team, and Bob Hartley raved about him. He's the smartest player he's, he's ever coached. Yeah. So I, I, it isn't surprising to me that Larry Arnoff, uh, although a Red Wing mm-hmm. during the uh, during the, peak rival- of the rivalry, oh, yeah, absolutely, uh, he's he's a terrific coach. It doesn't surprise me a bit. Perhaps a good sign, obviously, for the Avs when. That eventually uh, comes to be, too, when they ended up getting, when they get Kovalenko over here. It'll be interesting to see what they can do because there is space for him. There's room for him, and the Avs have a little time before the trade deadline. They will take on the Dallas Stars in what looms as a potentially humongous game tomorrow night. That will be here in Denver. We'll break that down a little bit more tomorrow, obviously. But Russell Wilson is not going to be the quarterback of the Denver Broncos next year. I know you're shocked. You're stunned. Russell Wilson, Stop though, is more than willing to lay, make remind everybody in town that that's not his decision. You'll hear a little bit more from the Denver Broncos. 
current quarterback. Classic he's, Russell Wilson. He's still on the roster. We'll hear a little bit Classic more from Russell him. Russell Wilson. Passive aggressive. Next on Byline Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. All right, let's get this out of the way up front. I don't care what the Broncos say. I don't care what George Payton says. I don't care what Sean Payton says. I don't care what Russell Wilson says. Russell Wilson is not going to be on the Denver Broncos tomorrow as everybody scrambles to somehow save the most face in this. And that's all that's going on right now, by the way, is face saving. Because the Broncos, Russell Wilson uh, had a, let's see, a Hall of Fame trajectory maybe damaged beyond repair over the last two years in Denver. And he's trying to find a way to salvage that wherever he goes next. He's looking for a job. The Broncos... Ended up having two bad seasons in which now they will have to, no matter what, either have by far the largest dead cap money hit in history or the largest dead cap money in history and the second largest dead cap hit money in history. I mean, that's what we're talking about. So there's a lot of face to be saved. But over on Brandon Marshall's podcast, that would be Seaver. Yes. Brandon Marshall, not linebacker. Not the ex-linebacker. Brandon Marshall. Russell Wilson had an opportunity to talk about uh, his thought process for the remainder of the season and how, uh, why not stay in Denver? So you sitting here at 35, you say you feel the best you've ever felt. Do you still have that obsession? I got more fire than ever, honestly, especially over the past two years of what I've gone through, whether it's in Denver or somewhere else. I, I hope it's in Denver. You know, I hope I get to finish there. I, I committed there. I wanted to be there. You know, I want to be there. For me, it's about winning. Over the next five years, I want to win two. I want to feel the chill of that trophy again. You know, I, I love the city and everything else, but you know, you also want to be a place that, that wants you too. So the thing that I, I, I want to do is, is, is win, man. That's all, that's all I care about. The Denver Broncos are not going to get the thrill of the trophy in the next two or three years. Just no. spoiler alert. And he knows that too. But. Right. Uh, this is this is Wilson's, and we talked about this, the the game in which Peyton got in his face and screamed and Wilson just took it and just spun around. We talked about it that very next Monday and pointed out that this is Russell Wilson already working on his next job because he knows Sean Peyton's not keeping him, and he's got two things he's got to keep in mind. He's got to make sure you know, shouting back at a coach is a bad look, especially when you're going to be looking for a new team. You want to show that I'm, I'm not going to be the problem. You can bring me in. I'm not going to be the problem. And that part's important for Wilson as well as the you know quintessential go-getter kind of guy that he wants to, to be perceived as. And I have no real problem with anything he said. No, I don't either. I think everybody is looking, as you put it, to save face. Uh, there's some image building going on, and it's happening with the Broncos too. Uh, both sides are engaging in classic passive-aggressive behavior. I mean, going to talk about that with 
Perea on our podcast Wednesday. I, I mean, I just think it's fascinating. And they're both, I, I actually think Wilson is better at it. I do he's too. been burnishing his brand for a longer period of time than have, have the Broncos. I mean, the Broncos have changed personnel in the front office. Ownership's new and relatively new anyway. Uh, they're not as good at the game as Russell Wilson is. Um, but I, I did think at one point when he was talking about what the Broncos tried to do, and he was vehement about that, there was no kind of shading and kind of dancing around the subject. He was clear that he was threatened with the loss of his job if he didn't adjust his contract. Mm-hmm. And then Peyton told him, well, we we need you to play because it's a big game coming up in Buffalo and we need to win, which makes – Peyton looked kind of silly, uh, if not downright hypocritical. Uh, but he did say one thing. He said, I only told one guy. And it, I, I think it's, it's – I, I believe him on that, that Cortland Sutton was the only person who knew about the threat that Wilson would be benched if he didn't adjust his contract. And I'm thinking, you know – if your leader only has one friend on the team, he can't lead. And I'm not saying it's his fault that he only has one friend. I'm not saying it's the coach's fault. I'm not saying it's the organization's fault. But that jumped out at me as one of the few unvarnished things that were said. And I think he was trying to get across the idea that I didn't go telling everybody on the team about this because mm-hmm. I'm a team guy and I only told one person, well, it's the one person who would listen and the one person with whom he is friendly. And that's Cortland Sutton. He has no relationship. I'm not saying he has a bad relationship with other guys is no relationship. And with this other is guys. The, the only possible exception to that is Garrett Bowles. And he yeah. didn't tell Bowles, but I mean, he had a chance to say, he came out and said the only guy I told was Cortland Sutton, and I, I think you're left to infer from that that that's, Cortland Sutton is his only friend on the team. And that tracks with a little bit of what you heard over the years in Seattle, too, that, that Wilson is just sort of a, a little bit distant. There's some, He's a loner. There's some artifice right. in a lot of what he does. Yeah, and it's perfectly all right. When you're winning, it's fine. Right? Nobody nobody cares as long as you're not actively being a problem in the locker room and you just keep to yourself. That, that's okay. There's different ways to lead. But it makes it interesting to see where the Broncos will go because over the weekend, NFL reporter Jeremy Fowler went on Sports Center and said, right. everybody I've talked to around the league expects the Broncos at some point in the new league year. <laughs> Sooner to, or later. Right, and the, to, to release Russell Wilson. He said, but here's, here's the, the quote that's interesting. But they can start new. He can go sign somewhere else. The feeling is they'll sign for, for considerably less, maybe even the league minimum. Well, sure. Because he's got all that money in hand guaranteed, and right. so he's going to have options. But he also has offset language. So if you're Russell Wilson and you really want to stick it to the Broncos, even though, you know, I get it, their ownership's really mind-bendingly rich, the bigger the contract he gets from any team, the less the Broncos right. have to pay. Right. If you're oh, Russell I mean, Wilson, he's, you can just be like, to sticking it I'm, I'm going I'm to take them to the league minimum, and you yes, have to pay me all of it. take the league minimum. I'm just going to meet. This is going to let me open up First my, of all, my job it'll take options. the pressure off. Yeah. I mean, it, who, who's going to expect much from a guy making league minimum? That's what I'd do if I were Wilson. Again, don't worry about it. Take league minimum. Open up all the teams that would consider you. Take a look at which one makes fit. And I mean, fit, contrast and that exactly with right. Aaron Rodgers. 
who in his 40s will be expected to single hand, virtually single handedly yeah. lead the Jets not only to the playoffs, maybe to the Super Bowl next year. Even at, during his MVP years, he wasn't able to do that with Green Bay, and they had a lot more talent than the Jets did. Right. So uh, imagine the pressure on Rodgers, who brings a lot of it on himself through his behavior. I understand. I'm not pitying him. But contrast that with the situation Wilson could find himself in, making the league veteran minimum. Yeah, the expectations, even though the name would be a big deal, they, they wouldn't be anything. You're right. Because people would just say, well, okay, we got him for league minimum. Go to a place like Pittsburgh. Hopefully he turns it around. You don't think he wouldn't be better than Pitt- Pittsburgh's exactly where Pickett? I think he should go. That's where I think it's the best fit or for Atlanta? team and player. Atlanta's not a bad fit. Quite frankly, the Raiders aren't a bad fit, depending on what they bring back. But, but you're right. By doing that, if you're Wilson, you stick it to the guys who kind of messed with you. And then you have an opportunity to take the pressure off yourself, and especially especially if you stay in the AFC. Let's say he ends up with the Steelers. All of the talk around the league is going to be Aaron Rodgers I, come I think back in on New the schedule York next year, right? Right. I I think I think you're right. I think that is one of the teams they'll be playing. Now, don't tell me he's not looking at that either. I would imagine. Well, he knows the Raiders. I think twice. he'd love to come <laughs> back here next year. The the or the, play against the Broncos anywhere. In some capacity. And the challenge, of course, is, you know, you can, boy, you can look at this, this offseason is going to be so difficult for the quarterback position. And we'll get into this more and we'll, we'll talk about it tomorrow as well. Uh, the scouting combine starts tomorrow. As our uh, fearless leader over here at Mile High Sports, Nate Lundy refers to it as the uh, underwear Olympics. Correct. But so. I was uh, a John Fox line and yes. I, I, I'm not sure it originated with John Fox. Yeah, it's been Ornate, around a bit. But, but yes, the, the Underwear Olympics, that's exactly what it is. And our man, Dr. Rick Perea, writes about that uh, in My High Sports this month in the magazine. Yeah. And, you know, the, 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 Perea's point is that the, the stuff that really matters is the stuff that never gets covered. And you have the John Ross syndrome where a guy opens up eyes on the NFL Network and on ESPN by running these fabulous 40 times, and he can't play dead. Right, right. Or the Zach Wilsons of the world who caught everyone's attention throwing a ball across his body 60 yards, and bam, he's picked that high. By the way, you are correct. How about this? Of course, the Raiders are on the schedule in Denver every year, but so are the Falcons and the Steelers, all expected to play in Denver. And I suspect, again, Russell Wilson knows all about that. League minimum for all any of those would it. be interesting. But you can say whatever you want about it. And he Wilson. will be better than any that. quarterback right. the Broncos throw out there next year. And that and that's the thing that I that I, you're exactly right. That's where I was trying to to get to and I clumsily so. But he it, Wilson did not have a good year by Russell Wilson standards. I get it. But Russell Wilson threw 26 touchdowns to eight interceptions in 15 games. In 15 games. Do you suspect that Jared Stidham would do that? I don't. Do you suspect that three and a quarter to one touchdown yeah. to interception ratio? Hardly. That Jameis Winston would do that? No. A guy that's renowned for interceptions? No. How about, I don't know, Sam Darnold? No. There's no indication he's going to be a big touchdown guy. And you bring in J.J. McCarthy or Bo Nix or Michael Penix, they're going to get to 26 and eight? Maybe they get to 26, probably more than eight. Maybe. I don't know if you throw There's them in. There's no way either one of them 
or any of those. That's guys the problem. Is is I think on, that's now. why throw to these receivers. One of the reasons I think certain members of the Broncos want to kind of say, well, it's not entirely close because I think deep down they know. Okay, Russell Wilson isn't the answer for us, but we're actually going to backslide next year no matter what we do. And people couldn't wait to get Russell Wilson out of town. What are they going to do with whoever we have when the quarterbacking isn't as good? Because it's not going to be. Uh, they, they can't afford... It might be better than 2022 Russell Wilson. It will not be as good as 2023 Russell Wilson. Right. To tell you right now, it's hardly going out on the limb. Their quarterback in 2024 will not be as good as Russell Wilson was for Denver in 2023. Yeah, and you and I both buy into the QBR, and it wasn't tremendous. It was 50.7. But the that passer, was the but last the Bronco rating was regular quarterback who had oh. a better than a 50 quarterback rating. Yeah, we'd have to go look that one up, but it's it, it's been a while. And so I, this whole situation is just fascinating. I and he get, did hit 3,000 yards, did he not? He did. Even in just the 15 games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was your... So like he, he was, was your, the first was since Manning and 14 mm-hmm. to get to a quarterback rating of at least 50.0 and throw for at least 3,000 yards. And with a passer rating in the nine 90s, years. High 90s. In nine years. First time in, in nine years that a Morocco quarterback did that. It's going to be tough for them to get any better. And that part of the, the equation, I think, for Broncos fans is still sort of sinking in. That it's not going to get better. The quarterbacking situation next year is going to be worse. Maybe it'll take steps forwards, but it's going to be worse. And you're going to take on record dead cap money for it. And Russell Wilson will probably, I would, take league minimum and make sure you stick the Broncos for every penny. Now, that part doesn't matter because it's not really a cap thing and it's just cash and the Broncos are flush with it. But what a disaster after already being in the second longest playoff-less drought behind only the Jets, everybody else in the NFL, everybody else, you name it, everybody has been to the playoffs since the Broncos were last, except the Jets. And you're going to backslide. Yikes. That is a problem. Fortunately, the Denver Nuggets are in town, and they're really, really, really good. And I think uh, a whole bunch of the eyes around the country were... Reminded of that in their win yesterday against the Warriors. What does that mean, however, going forward? Jamal Murray dealing with uh, what we'll colloquially term as shin splints. Those don't get better without rest. What do the Nuggets plan to do? Have a number for you that might be jarring when it comes to Jamal Murray and his availability. I'll tell you next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. You get to hear me talk about it here and there, but the Colorado home market's been crazy for years. I do know how to navigate it. You talk to my friends Dave and Mark, the Key Real Estate Group's Colorado Luxury Home Team. And we say Colorado Luxury Home Team doesn't mean you have to be talking about luxury homes. It's about that service, that high-end luxury service, whether you're buying or selling. And obviously with Colorado's market, you need experts that know it. They know how to ride all the highs and the lows, the seasons, everything about selling in Colorado, which means you need 
two things, experience and stability. Well, that's Dave and Mark at Key Real Estate Group because they've spent 25 years in the same offices. They're privately held, not part of some bigger bigger chain. They know what they're doing. They, they're Colorado and Colorado only. Inventory still low around the Denver metro area, so homes that are priced right are still selling fast. So let Dave and Mark give you a free valuation. And even though you think about some of the winter here, it can be warm like it is now, or sometimes it can be snowy and everything in between, that maybe throws some people off. Well, maybe it does for some, but the people who are interested in buying now, they're not going to wait. So those winter months, they get serious buyers. No reason for you to wait. Let Dave and Mark represent you to make sure you're getting everything you deserve. Call Dave and Mark at the Key Real Estate Group, 720-900-LIST. That's 720-900-LIST. Or visit them today at keyrealestategroup.com. The Denver Nuggets have played eight games in February. They're five and three. Okay, that's maybe less than you might expect, although the three since the All-Star break have looked really good. It's better than three and three, though. It sure is, which is what, it, two and three. Which is what it, uh, it, you know, the previous three wins, it was not looking as good. But the interesting part of this is Jamal Murray, we know, has been battling shin splints or bilateral tibia soreness, to be more particular. But I went back and looked at the the numbers. When Jamal Murray has been able to play 30 minutes in a game, and when he hasn't, whether that means the game he sat out on Valentine's Day versus Sacramento, or the other two in which he didn't get to 30 minutes. When he does not get to 30 minutes so far this month, the Nuggets are 0-3. When he gets to 30 minutes or more, they're 5-0. and oh. Now, obviously, Murray is the team's second-best well, player play behind Jokic. Friday, though. They won that one. Didn't play in Portland, did he? Played 36 minutes last night. 36 game. minutes last night, yeah. Did not play in Portland. It did not and play. And they did win. Okay. Did. Okay, so, pardon me. I mean, that's correct. It's Portland. <laughs> right. You're right. Five, they, you don't right. need him against Portland. You're right. They're one and three when he doesn't play right. 30 minutes and right. five and oh when he does. We get the idea. So obviously it has been impactful because you want that two man game. Right. When you're talking about his performances with Jokic in particular. And we saw it again. I mean, even the uh, the national commentators on the game last night made sure to point out that when Jokic and Murray's two man game is going, the league still doesn't have an answer for it. No. no. And, because the Nuggets have counters to counters right. to counters. Uh, by this time, they've seen every form of coverage. Uh, Murray and Jokic have. Malone has obviously been involved in that. The assistant coaches, they, they've all seen everything. And they, they have counters uh, to anything that anybody runs. And last night, you know, I, that's why I was so sure that even down whatever it was, 15, 16, however big the deficit got to in the first half, I was sure they'd win. Because Murray and Jokic are having good nights. And they were both clearly going to play as many minutes as they needed to play. Turned out to be 35 for Jokic and 36 for Murray last night in order for for the Nuggets to win. Um, Actually, 37 for Jokic and and 36 for Murray. Um, And I'm beginning to think with Jokic, maybe it doesn't matter if it's 34 or 37. I mean... He just finds a way. Even in a game, he was getting pushed around yeah. last night. I know he was playing against smaller guys, but Green plays a physical brand of defense. Kevon Looney is not a shrinking violet. No. And uh, and he made it look effortless. It really did. Effortless. Stress-free. Sort of a magical ability, if you will. And this kind of manifested maybe two, two years ago. And at that time, you and I were doing post games for every game with right. two minutes left. 
And it struck me even back then that Jokic somehow, I guess maybe it's not a shock when you realize the guy reads the game the way he does. But Jokic has the ability to understand almost like a Formula One driver to know that I can relax for this three, four seconds on this straightaway and keep myself sharp for when I need to make a turn. And Jokic seems to have that ability almost possession by possession to understand this possession, I only need to give about 60% of my maximum. This possession, it's 70%. These possessions, it's 100 These possessions, maybe I got to go with everything I can and see if I can squeeze an extra percentage or two out. But it is almost possession by possession in which he knows exactly how much exertion is needed. And you can see it in his game. He's the master of the rhythm of the game. I can't, I've never seen anyone do this. From that position, no. To, to, to dictate, Walton did it, uh, I thought, on the rare occasions when Walton was healthy. And Kareem Abdul-Jabbar did it. did it as well yeah, at times. A little and kind bit. Of knew a, when little, to uh, a little bit. And uh, I mean, off. Kareem could do everything uh, well. Uh, but, you know, the, it, I, I'm just thinking of the guys who are uh, the great passers. Mm-hmm. You know, when Walton comes to mind, obviously. Sure, Jokic of course. is the greatest of them as even Walton has acknowledged, especially Walton has acknowledged, uh, just the the rhythm of the game, they have that sense uh, when the rhythm is wrong, they're able to get it back on track to the benefit of their team. The funny thing about the Nuggets, and you, you hear this because the coaches are all mic'd up now, and, you know, rebound and run, 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 the Nuggets really don't play that way. They talk no. as if they do, but they don't. They're one of the slowest teams in the league, and everybody knew last night that when the game was going pell-mell that it worked to the advantage of Golden State. When things settled down, Golden State couldn't make a shot, and Jokic controlled that. I mean, he was plus 20. Uh, what was he last night? Plus, plus 20. 20. In 37 minutes, Friday was plus 24 and 35 minutes. It, if the game needed to slow down, he'd slow it down. And Jokic can play at any pace, mm-hmm. but he knows from game to game what the ideal rhythm is for his team. Not for him. He can play any way you want to play. But for his teammates, and he is very well aware of who's playing that's and a, who's no, not and That's playing. an outstanding point. And, and last night I saw he was conferring with Christian Brown a time or two. And I, I don't always see that, but Brown got into Jokic's rhythm of the game and they were playing together a fair amount last night and they were interacting well. And I, I, I just say, I say this all the time. You can almost put any combination of four people around Jokic with the Nuggets, and they'll be good. And when he's not out there, you can put almost any combination of five out there, and they may be okay, they may hold their ground, but control of the rhythm of the game won't be as great when Jokic isn't on the floor. Jokic makes sure that the tempo is right. I, I think the, the point you're making there is really interesting, Sandy, and I think you're, you're absolutely right. The idea that it's not only Jokic knows the effort that he needs to exert, it's that he understands the effort that the other four guys right. as one need to exert, and he can yeah. do it. And, and the beauty of it is Jokic is averaging 
minutes per game. Now, that's obviously a tops in the Nuggets, and it's it's a reasonably heavy workload. At the same time, do you know where it ranks him in the NBA? Not all that high. 35th? Yeah. I was going to say maybe 25th. Yeah, it's 35th. No, 35th. He's 35th yeah. in minutes per game. Well, yeah, you know, as the it, Nuggets and Michael Malone have done a really they, they good have, job of making sure that, that a those much better are job, I think, than they they used to do. They're much more conscious of it, and I trust them on the Murray minutes too. When Murray's feeling well enough to play, all right, play him thirty to thirty-five or thirty-six that he played last night. That's fine. But you talk about some of those stars that Luka Doncic in minutes per game is second. Kevin Durant yeah. is fifth. Jason Tatum is tenth. Anthony well, Davis is 11th, yeah, Sabonis 12th, Booker 13th. Not, not all those guys. I mean, Doncic goes all out. I think Doncic has gotten himself into shape uh, in the last year, year and a half. He's really gotten himself into shape, as Jokic did at a similar point mm-hmm. in Jokic's yeah, career. Yeah, roughly, very similar uh, point, Roughly at the same fact. time. Yeah. And I, I'm sure Doncic has, has been following Jokic's career trajectory and understood last year, at, the, at least the beginning of the year, and going back to the previous year, he wasn't in good enough shape. And, and and now he is. But some of those guys, I mean, honestly, I watched Durant, and Durant kind of paces himself. Mm-hmm. He rests on defense. Yeah, I mean, he does. He, I'm not saying he doesn't play any defense. I'm saying he rests on defense. If he's going to rest, he rests on defense. Uh, Davis paces himself, although I, 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 I do give Davis credit. He stayed healthy this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, knock on wood. LeBron's missed a lot more games than Davis. And LeBron has had actually a higher. He's, when you're talking about average minutes per game, he's 23rd. Yeah. At his age. Yeah. So remember at the beginning of the year, remember on opening night, Darvin Ham was talking, oh, we got a minutes limit this year on on LeBron during the regular season. Well, that's all well and good in theory, but the Lakers won't even make the play in tournament unless LeBron plays 35 minutes a night. In player efficiency rating, despite those minutes, I ran over some of those names with you. Jason Tatum is 10th. LeBron James is 8th. Kevin Durant, 7th. Davis is 6th. Sabonis, 5th. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, 4th. Giannis, 3rd. Luka Doncic, 2nd. But leading everyone, not surprisingly, Nikola Jokic, 38.5. And listen, there are four guys I think are legitimate MVP candidates. Tatum's one. Jokic, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and Doncic. They're the four. Legitimate MVP candidates. And I, I wouldn't have any trouble with any of them winning it. But, uh, you know, to me, other than Jokic, Tatum has the best argument because he's the best player on the best team. The best player on the best team, right. I mean, I think that's the, the fair argument we will find out as now, that goes along. Now, Jay Gilgis-Alexander but- plays on a damn good team, and they are damn Good. They're tied for top the Western 40 Conference. 40 and 17. 17 right there with Minnesota. We'll find out. The Nuggets only one and a half out, though. They will take on those Sacramento Kings team that they've lost three times to. They'll take that on Wednesday. We'll talk about that a little bit more as we go along this week, too. Thanks to Arif Dean for joining us to talk about the Avalanche. Valerian Nachushkin back at practice, hopefully within about a week or so. Nachushkin will be back on the ice for the Avs. He was playing some of the best hockey of his career before he entered the program. They could use that. Uh, good luck to the CU women tonight, taking on UCLA, number eight in the country. They could use that win. We'll get back tomorrow and talk to you about all of that. Thanks to Danny Bailey, who makes everything in the booth work. Thanks to you, of course, for listening. However you did, FMHD, MileHighSports.com, or you made it easy on yourself and just got that Mile High Sports app and have it all in your pocket with Arab's podcast. Uh, tomorrow, we'll, we'll have Ryan Blackburn to break down the Nuggets, his podcast. You'll get all of it all in one spot. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. We're going to step away. 
But you don't have to. We'll be back tomorrow. You're right here on Miley Sports. Yeah.